Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I am starting with INTJ-ness, or being an INTJ. That's my starting point. I'd like to... At some point, talk about the interrelatedness of being an INTJ and a type 8. But I realize I don't think I've ever just talked about being an INTJ. I may have talked about cognitive functions or the traits. I think I've talked about the traits of an INTJ, the cognitive functions of an INTJ, but never in a holistic sense of kind of... This is who I am as an INTJ in the world. And that's a little complicated to say who I am as an INTJ in the world because I am also a type 8. I am also these other social constructs. Ah, I'm also these other ways of being, ways of being understood there are different parts of me that extend beyond the INTJ um, that influences how my brand of INTJ-ness is understood. And so maybe that's one of the reasons why I don't isolate the types. Even though I'm like, I fight, I fight for the ability to identify as an INTJ. I fight for that. You know, you guys, you've heard me do other reflections on that, why I am fight, why I fight for it, and why I understand people say you should not identify with these types. I get it. But I fight for the ability to say I am an INTJ. Yet I rarely isolate and delineate myself as strictly as being an INTJ, which makes the, makes the argument, <laughs> which weakens my argument. I know that, right? It, it it supports the argument of those who say I shouldn't do that. I understand that. I get it. But anyway, that's my starting point. And I listened to some content this morning from a guy who identifies an INTJ. And uh, I don't, I've listened to him before. I don't know his name offhand, but I will put it in the show notes if he becomes a central part of this reflection. He may not be. So at this point, I'm just going to say I listened to um, some content from him on on YouTube. And it was about things that INTJs hate. Hate. And I was like, okay. So I was like, let me just listen to it. Um, I've taken a new job in the same organization, but it's a fundamentally different job. And I've been quite, quite intrigued with my observations of the self. So I've, I've been observing myself in this new job and I'm quite intrigued by what I'm seeing. So I think naturally when there's a shift in my life, I go back to typology just to, like I say, make it make sense. Like just try to understand who I am in this new world. And uh, typology just helps me to do that, helps me to do, to do that analysis, seeing me in a new context. What is 
just it helps me to be mindful of who I am. So the world around me has changed, but have I changed? I kind of look different, but have I really changed? Um, so I have a lot of fascinating observations about watching myself in this new world. We've just had date, eight days of being in a new world. So I've been counting every day. This is my day eight. This is my day five, right? So I just ended day eight in this new position and a uh, lot, a lot of observations. And so many that it's very difficult for me to organize all the observations. I'm, I, I don't have any distance from it, right? Uh, as, as an NI Dom, I like to have distance to organize. And when I say distance, I'm not talking about physical distance, but maybe some conceptual distance, maybe even emotional distance. I'm not sure yet. I need to, I need to chew on that a little bit, but I haven't had the distance to take these experiences and organize them in a way for you all. Now, every day, because of what I've been tasked to do, it's either I've been tasked to do it by the powers that be who are over me, or I've been tasked to do it by the spiritual person within me. But either way, I feel tasked to do something. <laughs> so every day um, I come home, I'm, I'm surrounded or bombarded by a lot of observations on the new job. And then I wake up the next day. I don't even plan for it. I don't even take, I don't prime my brain. I don't prime my brain. I don't prime my introverted intuition. But it, I, I allow my, I think I respect the process now. I now know how my mind works as an introverted intuitive dom. So I let it be. I let it do what it's going to do. I wake up the next morning and I usually, 99.9%, will have some kind of epiphany, clarity, commitment. Oh, oh, that thing from yesterday, this is what we're going to do to respond to it. 99.9% of the time that I wake up with that kind of resolve because my introverted intuition has been processing and making meaning out of a thing. And so that's what I've been doing every day for the past eight work days. Um, and so, but I haven't had an, I don't think you want to know those things because this podcast is not about that job. So those epiphanies, that understanding, the clarity, the conviction and the resolve, those are all industry specific. And I don't think this is not an industry based podcast. So I don't give that to you. Right. So in order to give you what I like to give you, I need more separation. I need more distance from the thing that I'm organizing so that I can see patterns, dispositional patterns, what I want to call dispositional patterns. So I really haven't had a lot of that yet. So anyway, I wake up this morning and I'm like trying to like, I'm like, I got to go. I got to talk to these people. I've started this podcast. <laughs> my relationship to it has changed. My emotional relationship to the podcast has changed, but not my intellectual relationship. So I'm like, I got to talk to them. But I'm so focused right now. My master, The mastermind is activated. There's a problem. I'm, I'm sent to a job. There's a problem. 
and it's a delicious problem and it, it feeds me and it's it is deeply fulfilling and rewarding that's something i want to talk to you guys about and i'm just consumed with trying to problem solve the the the, the, the problems of the new job and so i just haven't had the time or the just haven't yet had the distance from it to come and give you guys what I think would be relevant to this project. All right. I haven't. And I know this is a journal, right? But I still, I still do not want to bombard you with industry related content. I don't want to, even though I sometimes get caught up, right? Like that one episode I did on something about teachers, that was all industry. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't even the best version of me in my industry, which is one of the things I'm like, oh, maybe you shouldn't do that again. But I did it. It's there. I'm not going to delete it. Thank you to the four people who listened to it. (laughs) So anyway, I am starting. So I got up this morning. I'm like, I need to talk to these people in your NI Domland. I need to honor my project means a lot to me. What am I going to say? So I go on YouTube to say, okay, let's see if there's some YouTube content that will inspire me. And one of the first things I saw populated on my channel was about things that INTJs hate. And I was like, ooh, this will be interesting because it'll make, I'm like, I'm just wondering what about the job will resonate with me? Will this episode or this content resonate with me as I think about the job? And uh, so I think there were three things. I think there were three things that this uh, YouTube content presented. This YouTube content generator presented about things that INTJs hate. At least that's how I took the notes. It's not my job to regurgitate to you what that podcast, I mean, excuse me, that YouTube content was about. That is not what I'm here for. I'm going to reflect on it. And as I reflected on it, there were three things that stood out to me as things that the INTJ hate, as said by this guy. And so I want to just start here. Maybe this is going to be a reflection about what the INTJ hates, but um, we'll see. I'm going to start off just talking about being an INTJ and we'll see. Uh, Well, I'm going to start, let me say that differently. I'm actually going to start off by talking about the three things that he said the INTJ hates. But I'm open to just talking about just being an INTJ. We don't know what's going to happen on the other side once I get into the reflection. You already know what it is, right? But if you're here for it, then thank you. (laughs) So I'll do that after the disclaimers, okay? So if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory, the two that I use the most. I'm Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, pushing those two systems together. I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I love playing with this identity of being a critical race feminist, but it is not a core identity. It is a playful identity that is still meaningful. Uh, and as a critical race feminist, it's just my, it showcases my sensitivity as to power, not emotional sensitivity, although it could be, but it's really my intellectual sensitivity as relating to power within the realm of social constructs, within the context of social constructs like race, gender, class, sexuality, 
what we consider to be abilities. What do we, what do we consider ability to mean? What do we consider? What do we think about the concept of beauty? What do we think about the concept of femininity? What do we think about the concept of masculinity as a society in this social matrix, right? So it's just, it's just a helpful, playful framework for me to say, I'm a critical race feminist. And then people can understand why certain things come out of my mouth and why other things do not. <laughs> this project is unedited and is unscripted. If you want to know more about this project or me, feel free to go to my website. It is not the most current, but you will still be able to get a good sense of who I am and why I'm showing up. The website address is yournidom.wordpress.com. Okay. All right, so let's talk. So let me tell you the three things that I wrote down about what the INTJ hates. From this guy. And I guessed... Hold on a second. Okay, I'm back. I had to put you guys on pause because I wanted to go get his name and that was that was going to bother me. So... I think that the correct title of that content is things you hate when you're an INTJ. Things you hate when you're an INTJ. And his name is Love Who? That's how he identifies. So he has an alias like I do. So that's cool. (laughs) I think it's Love Who. And then something on his page, like there was a header that said psychological mayhem. And, um. So anyway, that's all I got for him. It's not somebody I'm very familiar with. I've seen his content before, but like I don't really know much about why he's naming himself as Love Who or what psychological mayhem means. And that's his business, not mine. So let's move on. <laughs> but anyway, so let me just tell you the three things that he said about um, about things in INTJ. Things you hate when you're an INTJ. Number one, wasted energy. Number two, forceful incompetence. And number three, directionless actions. Oh, my God. That's so delicious. Wasted energy, forceful incompetence, and directionless actions. And so when I put you guys on hold to go look to get that, um, and I put in a keyword search because I had to go to a different computer to pull it up, um, I saw all of these articles, like 52 things you hate when you're an INTJ, 48 things you hate when you're an INTJ. So apparently that's a thing. Like I was, I'm like, oh my gosh, 52 things that we hate. So I'm going to have to go back and read that article. But, um, but we're going to just do, just go through these three, these three things. Okay. And let's see what, let's see what this reflection gives me. Uh, and hopefully it gives you. All right, so let's talk about wasted energy. So I'm going to try to try to recap a little bit some things he he talked about being intellectually lazy, or um, I don't know if he was I don't know if he was saying that's who we are, or that's how we were perceived. It's probably who I were perceived, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, he was talking kind of fast, but anyway. Um, our brain, he said our brains are overworked or we're always working our brains. So um, you really can't say that we're intellectually lazy because we're always thinking. So I guess that, that answers that. Um, we have more finite energy 
and um, as, a, as opposed to other types. And and working smarter and not harder. These are the things that I wrote down in terms of that section. And so I really like this idea of intellectual laziness. I really, really in, just want to think that through it. So um, I'm in a new job and I'm in a new position. Same organization, but a new position. It's a position that I've semi-held before. Um, I am running. I'm running a school. I don't know if I really should say that to you, but that's the truth. I've run a school before. I've ran. I've I've managed. I've been responsible for two schools in my past my past life, and uh, so this is the third one. Um. Up in, for the school year, though, up until eight days ago, I have been looking at eight schools and working with the principals of eight schools. And uh, in terms of a particular theme, a, a particular type of outcome. And this particular type of outcome, and I want to just try to be as generic as possible, this particular type of outcome hasn't really been gutted by the organization. So everybody in the organization is using the same word, but what that word means, the schemas associated with the one word is not the same across the organization. So for the past five months, I've been working with five different principles about achieving this one outcome in an environment that hasn't really defined what that outcome is. I have very, I personally have a very clear scope about what that outcome is. I have a very clear set of schemas about that concept. And what has been very difficult for me in the work of the past five months, not the eight days per se, the last five months, is that I have such a strong clarity, I have such strong clarity about a particular this outcome and what it means and how to get there that I've just been really struggling. Because other people don't have strong convictions and clarity and know-how to get there. So on one hand, you would be like, well, then that's great. If they don't know how to do it, then you know how to do it. But then you've also, if you heard me in the past, like especially around December and January, well, December, November and December, I was talking a lot about positional authority. I don't have, I didn't have the position, I didn't have the positional authority to assert my view about this particular outcome. Who am I? Now, that's fine. So what I ended up doing is for with my five principles, I started functioning as an advisor. I started functioning as an advisor as related as relating to this particular outcome as relating to my my brand, my approach to this outcome and they could take it or leave it. And that was the relationship I had started to develop with each of those five principles. And I was really happy about that. Actually, it took a while to get there. 
because there were a number of things that were in interfering with my work with these five principles. So I was navigating that terrain, but I had finally gotten to a place, I would say in the last six weeks prior to the last eight days, where I was, I felt really good about each of my relationship with each of those five school principles and talking to them about this particular outcome and telling them this is how I think about it, right? And developing a real, not just a relationship with them based on emotions, you know, that's not what INTJs do, but intellectually based on a vision, based on knowledge, uh, based on my insight. And slowly but surely, they were taking me in, letting me have a seat, not at the table per se, but at, at in it, letting me have a seat at their intellectual table. And and that was I, finally, I was starting to get to the place where I'm like, okay, now the next frontier was my supervisor who doesn't have the view of the outcome, doesn't have a, her own view of it. So the four weeks before they moved my position, I had been meeting with her one-on-one and we started build, developing a shared language. So I was doing two, I was, I was just like working above me and working below me. <clears throat> the, I didn't have any subordinates. I was working above me and then working across from me. Now, I could say I was working across from me because my five principles, I saw them as peers. They didn't see me as peers. They saw me as subordinates, a subordinate. And that was a little that was a little unnerving initially, but it was like I I'm I'm fairly secure. I should say I'm fairly. I'm secure in what it is that I know. I'm secure in that. So if you need to see me as a subordinate, that's fine. I'm not going to let you treat me as a subordinate. Okay. But honestly, for the most part, even though that position had been treated as being subordinate to principles in the past, I didn't, I didn't feel that towards the end. So those were my peers in my mind. So I was working with peers and then, even though technically they weren't peers, but in my mind they were peers, and then a supervisor, and then they moved me, and they moved me to take over a school building as a principal. And what I told the CEO is that I don't have traditional principal experience. I don't. I have been responsible for two schools. I have led two schools, but my title was not principal. As a matter of fact, I built my principal. I put people in place as <laughs> uh, principal. So, so for me to be in this role now is like, okay, a lot of it is familiar to me. About eighty percent of it is familiar. Because of my past. And the 20% that's not familiar is institutionally. Like how it's just the technical position of what a principal does and what a principal doesn't. And the question is going to be how I honor that or not or disrupt it. I don't know. And I don't know how long I'll be in this role. 
So that's the other piece. That's another piece of this. I'm kind of like a substitute principal. They don't call it that. But I'm like a substitute principal. Kind of. <laughs> because then I was also tasked with bringing some order because it's chaotic. The space was chaotic and I was tasked to bring order. Well, you know, that's my happy. I'm happy there. So. I, you have said nothing but a word when you say bring order to chaos. <laughs> so that is not hard for me. So it, that's the interesting thing. So I told the, I talked to the superintendent. I said, well, I said, um, I said, um, it's hard for me. It's, it's going to be hard for me to implement some of these systems if people feel like I'm not going to be there for the, for the long haul of those systems. And what I've been telling people is it doesn't matter if I'm going to be there for the long haul. Like the beautiful thing, I, what I'd love to see is whoever takes this position after me, we give them something to work with. They aren't going to have to start from scratch. We'll turn them over. We'll give them a school that they can build upon. I'm doing the hard work. I'm doing the work of trying to bring order to a very chaotic and a messy situation from, from the, from every aspect of that building. It's how students are interacting with each other, how students and staff are, excuse me, students are, staff are interacting, how the school is interacting with the larger organization. I mean, it's just a lot of, a lot of it, it's just, it's a lot. And um, it's exciting, though. <laughs> it's exciting for me because that's where, that's my happy, you know? Like, I, I get to be a problem solver. I get to mastermind a solution. I get to mastermind. I get to implement it. I don't just design it. I get to implement it. I have the positional authority now to implement it and I and align it to those that are out, the outcome that the organization says it wants, but it's never really defined. That nebulous outcome. I'm in the right position to do it. So the position is delicious in that way. In that one way, it is delicious. All right, let's talk about being intellectually lazy. This is this is this is the perfect setup for that. So let me tell you about the off the front office how they have presented this. There are two secretaries and they kind of have a division of duties. They kind of. But how, but really people can just go in there and ask the secretaries, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? The secretary belongs to the entire school. And then they can, and they take direction from people from the entire school. And I'm like, okay, if this has been working for you, that's great. But what if it, what if it's part of a larger problem? Right? I suspect it's part of a larger problem, but, um, I don't know if I don't have a way to prove that yet. So I won't, I'm not going to touch that. I won't touch that right now. But if I were there for a long time, period of time, I would align that 
So, but the reason why I brought it up is because I went and asked one of the uh, secretaries or the administrative assistants to sit, and I said, um, so when I wanted, I want something, I can email the request because a lot of it is new. I need to be able to talk it through. And I, cause I just, there, there are limits to emailing a request when you're still trying to learn a new environment. And I said, um, I, so I go up to the desk and I don't want to just start talking like, Hey, can you do this for me? I hate when people do that to me. I hate when people, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm working or even if I'm sitting there staring at the wall and for someone to just walk up and start talking. I, now that's something I hate. Okay. I hate that. And uh, so I'll pause and they're like, no, you don't have to do that. Just start talking. <laughs> they're like, you're fine. Just start talking. And I'm like, that would be maddening for me, but I'm realizing it's not madness for them. That's how they've been functioning. Just start randomly talking to each other. And I'm like, if you're trying to produce, in my mind, if you're trying to produce to get something done and you're in the middle of something and someone just walks up and starts talking to you, in my mind, you have to stop what you're doing to focus on what they're saying, to understand what they're saying, and to figure out how you're going to do the thing that they ask you to do. Um, And that requires, in my mind, focus and attention. But... One of the secretaries is like, no, no, we're fine. And then I'm watching. So I have an assistant principal. I have two right now, but one is leaving. Uh, he was, they just left him there for the transition. So my one assistant principal just walks in. I'm in a meeting. He just walks in. If my door is shut, he just walks right in. My eyes get big. Like I'm in the middle of the meeting. He and not only does he just walk in, he walks in and he starts talking. Like I'm in the middle of the meeting with somebody, and he just walks in and he starts talking. (laughs) My eyes get my eyes got really big. Like what is this? (laughs) And I'm laughing because I could be the only one bothered by that. It seems like that's the norm in that org in that building, and I am there. Like oh crap. Anyway, so um, so he's done it twice now, and uh, I I I I think I think he's got it, but I will have a conversation with him. I didn't know it was a pattern. Like I didn't know that. Like I try not to address things in isolation. I try to wait for it to be a pattern before I address something because we all have incidental mishaps, all of us. And so when that thing becomes a pattern, that's when I'll address it. So he's done it twice. I think if he does it one more time, we'll have a conversation. It's just, it's not a big deal. Then I also have noticed I was in, I had a meeting scheduled and I had stepped out to, to interact with some students. I come back. There were four people sitting in my office. I didn't say come in. I mean, we had an appointment, but it doesn't mean that I want you sitting in my office when I'm not there because I have a whiteboard where I'm strategizing and I don't necessarily want, I want to be able to control my space. So anyway, I just say for me, all of that feels inefficient. How the office, sec- the, the secretaries are are engaged, how leadership is engaged, how 
the other thing is how students have been treated in terms of behavior and discipline. Um, and that's what, what I've been working on for the past day, eight days, creating a system that is predictable and progressive as it relates to discipline and students. So the students can anticipate it. And that it doesn't go from zero to 60 overnight. It has to be progressive. So I've been saying progressive needs to be predictive and progressive. And that has been a conversation piece. And so that's something that we've done. Like that, so I would say the two things that I, in eight days, in eight days, I've instituted two systems. One as it relates to fights. And now the, the second one as relating to what we're calling chronic behaviors, chronic disruptors. And we're about to move into instruction now, and I'm so excited. Like the fact that I can move into instruction in like less than two weeks in an environment that was chaotic. Well, yeah, part of that, a lot of that is because I'm an INTJ, but um, it's, the other part of it is because I'm, exper- I'm an experienced INTJ in my field. So I don't want to get off of that because I, I think, I, so one of the things people are like, because so there's a position I've been applying, uh, working on an application process, which I got to submit. And uh, it's a position that I've been interested in before this position I've been put in. I've been placed in a position temporarily. I didn't apply for it. I didn't interview for it. I was placed there. So that's problematic. So that's just a temporary placement. So there's a permanent, there's a position that I've been looking at. And once that position became available, I started doing my work, getting ready to apply for it, doing completing the application. And, um, and so people are asking me about the position I've been placed in. They said, if it becomes available, do you want it? Do you want it? Are you going to go for it? And I was like, I don't really like my, my mind is over here. I'm just doing this thing because the CEO asked me to do it. But I would say the last few days I've been wondering if the thing that I ultimately want to do about that one outcome that I started with, that one outcome that very few people understand, that one outcome that I have an idea of, I have schemas for it, I have a plan for it, I'm very comfortable with it. What if that's the way to do the work? And I don't have the answer right now. I don't have the answer. I don't even know if I have the choice, to be quite honest with you. Um, the only position that I know that I have for certain is the position that they hired me to do, even though I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> so anyway, but all of that comes together under this idea of intellectual laziness because what I'm asked to do, and this is even when I was working with the five principles, what I'm asked to do, I cannot do it in mayhem, <laughs> chaos. I can't do it. I cannot function in chaos, in disorder. So in order to get to the results that I want, that I've been tasked for, I've been charged to get results, I start doing, I start cleaning up a lot of the, per, what looks to be peripheral dimensions. And then people go, why are you focused on why are you focused on this outer layer which isn't significant like if you think about a dartboard 
right? This is the perfect metaphor. You look at a dartboard, right? And the bullseye. I've been tasked to do something that's located in the bullseye. But I'm not spending my energy there. That's not what's getting my energy. My energy is being located at the, those outer layers. And they're like, people are like, why are you doing that? And that, to this guy's credit, what did he say? Under his point three, directionless actions, all actions should be beneficial beyond the moment. So it might look like I'm doing these uh, peripheral things that are insignificant. Absolutely not. I'm doing the things that will impact the bullseye. See, the bullseye is connected to those outer layers. It's connected to those outer layers. It's surrounded by those outer layers. And in many ways, those outer layers are, oh, this is so good. The outer layers are protecting the center. So if you go in and you fix the bullseye and you don't address those outer layers, guess what? You're going to constantly have to refine the center. I don't want to do that. So what I'm doing right now and what I've done in eight days, I'm starting to put things in place in the outer, in the outer layers. And so I've, I've done more than just the two disciplinary things, but, but that's school wide. But like in terms of how the office is operating, how the office is operating, I'm starting to have conversations with how like just some key people have been functioning for so long. And they've been in that role for so long that no one is going to challenge them because we're like, oh, you, you're, you, you got, you have seniority here. You seniority, you're knowledgeable, you're invested. And I'm like, yes to all of that. But my question is how you're part of the outer layer. And now we've got to refine how you are positioned to the bullseye. So I have been doing some of those other. I've been doing some other things that I haven't been able to publicly name yet for a reason because I'm not done with it. <laughs> so I'm still in the building process with these other, and they're people. Like it's easier to put in a system. It's more difficult to systematize people. I can systematize a structure. I can't systematize. It's not as easy to systematize people. So you, in order to, and you shouldn't really because people are humans. So when you put a system in, when you are trying to create a system that involves people, you've got to get their buy-in. You've got to get their buy-in. You've got to make sure that they're properly positioned. You've got to make sure that they're, they have the capacity that they've been trained, they're fed, they're taken care of, right? You don't just put people in a system and think that they're, it's going to work. It just doesn't. So I was thinking about this this week too, like as an INTJ, I'm more interested in the systems than I am people, right? And if you saw me, though, I'm working, I'm spending a lot of time with people. A lot of time with people. A lot of time with people. And in some ways, I'm like, ooh, this is, I'm dealing, <laughs> I'm dealing with a lot of people. But I'm trying to do buy-in for the bullseye. I'm trying to do buy-in for two things. The bullseye and these outer layers that need to change. So almost everybody, almost everybody can agree on the bullseye. Like um, we're all in agreement about what we want the bullseye to be. We just don't under, we don't necessarily agree or understand what those outer layers are. 
And that's what these meetings are about. That's what my relation, I'm relating to people to, to understand them, to learn them and to build buy-in and to build capacity. So I'm doing a, I'm doing a number of things, but I'm peopled out. So when I come home, I'm not interested in talking on the phone. Like I'm worried about my karaoke life. Like, like, <laughs> I'm just, whoop. but I say that I, but it is fulfilling. But anywho, um, so yeah, just, I wanted to say this last thing, um, about the intellectual laziness. So part of being intellectually lazy, I'm, or what appears to be intellectually lazy is this. I think all three of these connect. Well, no, I think wasted energy and directionless action to me are connected, at least as it relates to the, my work right now. I, I want to get to the bullseye. And when I get to the bullseye, I want the bull, that what I've done to be sustained. I want to sustain it. So it's about getting to the bullseye in a way that whatever I do in that, in that moment, in that spot, it is going to be protected and prosperous. And so for me, hitting the target is efficient. And this is just an interesting concept about effectiveness and efficiency. Because I've heard people talk about, I think if I got this correctly, I may have misunderstood it, but let me just, let me just play with this a little bit. I've heard people talking about TE, extroverted thinking, as being about effectiveness. Uh, the husband and wife team that I talk about, I like, they talk about TE as being effective. And if I'm not mistaken, they talked about TI being efficient. I'm not sure, but I remember a few years ago thinking about the difference between effectiveness and efficiency, right? I do think I'm also about efficiency. But sometimes you can be efficient and not effective. Because it depends on what you're trying to be efficient with. Which so effective is doing it right. Efficient is doing it well enough and not waste a lot of time and resources. In my world, I want to be both efficient and effective, but honestly, I can be inefficient for the sake of effectiveness. And then if you think about it, efficiency is subjective. So is effectiveness though, isn't it? Hmm. I got to think about that because they're both, they both can be uh, subjective, but if, but if effectiveness is okay, how about this? If effectiveness is gutted or measured by some kind of external standard, we all agree that this is what effective is. This is what our target, this is what our goal is. This is our, these are our objectives. We all are in agreement with that. Okay. How we get there, we might all have different ideas of of how we use our time and our resources to get there. Now, if I've been tasked to get to a particular designation, as well as get there in a certain time period within a particular budget, 
right? Then that changes the conversation. And that's great, honestly. Someone told me to get to a particular destination, and then they said, I want you at this I want you to arrive at that destination in this particular time period, and I want you to stay within this particular budget. I would love all of those specs. That would be, I would greatly appreciate a supervisor or a director or someone to give me that kind, to, to give me that type of assignment. But most people don't know that. They don't think like that. And so, oh God, you guys, I'm, I'm going to have to, anyway, I wanted to talk about forceful incompetence. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have enough time. Um, but like, um, so, so an, another example of this job that I'm, I'm facing is curriculum. So you have standards. See, these are things you have standards, you have curriculum, you have instruction and you have assessments. Then they all work together, but they're separate. They are separate. So curriculum is scope and sequence. So standards are the scope of the curriculum for the most part. For the most part. Standards are more, uh, I'm not going to go too far into industry talk, y'all. Just bear with me for it because I need to give this to you so you can understand this point I want to make. Standards are the skills, concepts, or dispositions we want students to master. The skills, scopes, excuse me, skills, concepts, and dispositions we want students to master. <sighs> Curriculum is how we're going to get the students to master that. How we're going to get the students to master, master the scope. Excuse me. How we're going to get the students to master the skills, the concepts, and the dispositions. And the how becomes a scope and sequence. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it there because I wanna. In terms of my training, I wanna I wanna linger there a little bit, but I'm, I think that's all you need. To, that's all you need for the sake of this point that I wanna make. So, I believe standards should be universal across multiple sites, across multiple schools, and particularly within a region. So if that region is statewide, then because the state understands its economy, the culture, right, that state that then drives what the standard should be. And I understand even having national standards because as a nation, we have a particular economy, culture, set of politics that we need citizens to possess the ability to function within a particular region. So we look at what the needs of the region are. We set the standards accordingly. I got that. But how you get the the students to master those is going to be based on the curriculum. And students are diverse, and there are these many regions, and they're culturally diverse, politically diverse. And so the curriculum should not be standardized across it shouldn't be standardized, in my opinion. Then my professional opinion. Okay. Well, that's what they've been doing. They've been spending all of their energy standardizing the curriculum. And I'm saying that doesn't make sense. So in one of my meetings today, 
in one of my meetings this week, that was the conversation. But the but this is what I said to them. I don't really care. I don't care how you get there. I don't care how we get to the end result. I care about the end result. So I, my professional training and my expertise says these are the ways that we can get to the end result. But if you feel like you have a better way to get there, I'm all ears. But I'm not going to have fidelity to the process. My fidelity is given to the outcome. So whatever you do, you're going to have to show that you're getting to the outcomes. So what's happening? I don't want to, because this is political and I don't want to get into the details. This is where the, this is where, this is just another piece that it, it just makes me so excited by, by the challenges associated with the job, because there's a political piece to this. The political piece is we're not all getting to the destination because we've committed to the type of vehicle that we want to put the kids in to get to the destination. I'm mixing my metaphors, you guys. I don't know if this is all crazy, so just bear with me. We have a destination. We're saying this is the route to get there. But all of the kids aren't arriving to the destination through that mechanism through that vehicle so instead of questioning the vehicle we question the students and we don't just question the students about well okay let's just leave it there we question the students and then we start what I call problematizing the students maligning the students they're the problem this is this is FI, my FI is about to come through right now. I'm introverted feeling, right? This is egregious. We want the students to get to a particular destination. We, we standardize the process to get them there. When they don't arrive, we say they are the problem. And we don't get out of our own ass to say, Maybe the vehicle that we're using is the problem. But maybe this is what I'm good at. I know the vehicle. I've been ensconced and trained about the vehicle. But I also know the students. I've come to the table with multiple, multiple perspectives. And I'm, we don't have to agree. But you are going to name what you believe. You're going to name what you believe about these kids. You're going to name it. And I'm no, and so I started, I started off one of the meetings and I said, I said, we can agree that instruction and behavior go hand in hand, right? So I came in, everybody wanted to talk about behavior. That's why I started with the discipline. I started with the discipline because that's what everybody was up in arms about. Okay, we'll start with the discipline. I can be a disciplinarian. I know how to manage behaviors. I got that. That's an area of expertise. And But I told him a week ago, I said, I knew it. I could see it coming. And it wasn't it's just been eight days. I said, if we do the behavior management, and we once we get the behaviors under control, the instruction is going to become visible. And we're going to have to have some conversations about instruction. I didn't think it was going to happen this fast, though. I didn't, really. But I knew it was coming. 
So I'm now like instruction and behavior go hand in hand. One of the ladies in the meeting was like, I don't really think that. Oh, you don't? You know why? Because they want to have a fidelity to a particular type of instruction. And the behaviors that come out of the kids is about them, about the kids' home life. It's about their families. It's about their neighborhoods. But it's not about the instruction. It's not about the curriculum. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Not while I'm there. <laughs> and maybe. <laughs> and I always say, like, when I speak with conviction, because <laughs> I do, and I speak with just a, a clear resolve once I have it, I'm like, and if I'm, if I'm not here tomorrow, then um, I said something you didn't want. And I think that that's okay. I live by that. You have a right to have the kind of leader you want, but this is, but I'm going to speak truth. And it's not truth coming from my, my emotions. This is truth coming from my research, not just mine, but the research and research community in which I'm a part of <laughs> my research and my background, my expertise. I've laughed because one of the, the ladies in the meeting was like, because she was fighting for the curriculum. And I was like, but, but maybe the curriculum isn't, maybe your approach is not working. This is research proven. I said, let's tell the truth. I said, this curriculum was built by a group of white people. Let's just tell the truth. Let's not even judge it right now. I'm not even going to judge it, but let's just name it. And this is, and I'm going to end here. And you're like, you haven't talked about the INTJ ness. Well, that was my starting point. <laughs> this is the problem with what's called whiteness. Whiteness. And just because you're white does not mean you are an advocate of whiteness. Doesn't mean you're an advocate of whiteness. Doesn't mean you're a champion of whiteness. You might not even be associated with whiteness. So if you're listening to me and you're white right now, do not get your undies in a bunch. Okay, because this does not have to be about you, okay? But whiteness is a way of thinking and it's a way of being. And it's really because it's really based on who the racial elite is, who the dominant group is. So if the dominant group was purple, then we would call it purpleness. The dominant group was polka dotted, we would call it polka dottedness. You guys get what I'm saying? Okay. Whoever the dominant group is has a way of being that then they become what's called the default human. That everything exists through their lens. They don't see variance. They don't see it. So if, and this is what I said to them, I said, when I said the comment about, well, the curriculum was built by, the, by a group of white people. You should see the room in the... <laughs> Everybody in the room, like, it was like the, I took the air out of the room, like, <laughs> I don't even know how that sound is going to come through on the recording. I apologize. But it was like the air sucked out of the room. And I said, and it's not just if, if the curriculum was built by a group of bunch of black people, it would be a problem. It's monocultural. It doesn't make room for diversity. It doesn't make room for different People from with different experiences, different cognitive orientations, they need to have different approaches to the 
to get to the destination. We need to have different vehicles to get to the destination. One destination, not one vehicle. So you need to get there by plane. You need to get there by boat. You need to get there by train. You need to get there by walking. You need to get there by roller skating. I don't care how you get there now. Get there now. You might want to say, I want you to get there within a certain budget, a certain time. That's when we start talking about efficiency, right? I'm here for that. But then we need to be honest about our passengers. We need to be honest about our passengers and we need to be in agreement on who they are. And they should not be maligned. We should not malign our passengers because they're not going to get to the destination as fast as you want them to because you picked the, the, the vehicle in which they were supposed to get there. You've determined the timeline and the vehicle. Something has to give. And when you are dealing with a dominant group who's not used to understanding divergent thinking, multiple perspectives, it's very hard to get them to that they default as the passenger is the problem. It's very hard to get them to see that the process is the problem. It's the passenger that's the problem. I've 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 kind of given you guys a thousand metaphors that when trying to tell this story, I don't even know where you but anyway. Anyway, <laughs> as I close, effectiveness, getting to the destination, efficiency is how we get there. What are our standards? What are we trying to not waste? Time, money. And I'm saying I don't want to waste passengers. Wow, that is what I'm saying. I'm having a breakthrough. First of all, I'm working in a place where people aren't being honest about what it means to be efficient. This is a really good reflection for me in terms of industry. Because I think in my the industry I come from, we all we we have negotiated what the the what it means to be effective. How to reach those outcomes. We have not negotiated how to do it efficiently or if we're going to do it efficiently at all. And you don't manage people. It's, it's hard to get, it's hard to treat people. It's hard to manage people for efficiency. It can be done, but it's not, not an easy undertaking. Huh. All right. Well, anyway, let's get, as I close here, I'm going to go a little bit over an hour. Uh, but in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, saying, you know, being intellectually lazy, my thing is I know where I want us to go. I'm wondering if I contradicted myself because I know where I want us to go. And as an INTJ, I can say this is the way to get there. But I'm not necessarily, okay, here it is. I'm not necessarily governed by efficiency unless you tell me my limitations. If you say, I want you to get to this destination and I want you to stay in budget and I want you to stay in this timeline, okay, I'm okay with that. But that's not the conversation. No one has negotiated what it means to, uh, we've not negotiated what it means to get there. We just said this is where we want to end up. 
And I'm saying we have a certain type, we have a, we have a particular passengers that can get to that destination in the timeline that you set, but other passengers that cannot. And you're going to have to take a stance on your under, on, you need to be honest about what you think about those passengers. What do you think about their right to get there? And what do you think about the process that you've just designated? I think you hear me sighing because I feel like I'm dealing with a conflict inside. I think we're talking about, I want to talk about as an INTJ to get to the destination and to get there and to stay there. And that in some ways deals with the issue of efficiency, right? When we talk about not being wasteful, but I'm looking at wasteful, not in terms of time, in route to the destination. I'm thinking about wasteful after we get to the destination, do we stay there or do we have to keep going back, getting people there? Once you're there, I want you to be there. I don't want you to get there and fall off. So I think they're both, it is a, it's an issue of efficiency of time and uh, energy. And maybe this is what it's about then. Maybe efficiency for an INTJ is about energy more than it is about time and money. Maybe it's about, maybe it's about energy for an INTJ. Although I respect boundaries of time and money. I really do. But if you don't give me that, those specs, my ultimate aim is to make sure that we don't waste energy to get there. As I'm not going to be on repeat. That wasted energy feels foolish to me. I'm not going to spend my time repeating myself. And that's what it means for me. So check this out. I'm, I'm going to. I want to know what the guy would say. I don't think it's intellectual laziness at all. It is emotional laziness. There it is. Because intellectually, like he said, our, we're always thinking. My, in, my thinking is endless. My emotions are not in terms of who I'm going to share them with. And wastefulness is emotional to me. I don't know why I'm making that connection to the emotions. I'm going to have to come back and listen to this because I feel like this is incomplete. I feel like it's incomplete, but I don't know really. I need some distance with this. But anyway, y'all. We'll have to come back later to talk about forceful incompetence because that is a powerful framing right there. Forceful incompetence. And honestly, I think it's a lot to do with this, this process about this, this, not completely about the curriculum, but you, like I talked to this person yesterday and they were like, well, I have to do this. I have to align the curriculum. I said, so your priority is the curriculum. My priority is the out, are the outcomes or is the outcome? We're prioritizing two different things. And then the person pulled rank on me. Well, the person, why they are prioritizing the curriculum is because the person that's above them and above me has demanded it to be so. Forceful incompetence. No offense, the person that I, I believe this person is smart as a whip. 
But I do not believe that this person is smart as it relates to getting all children to this destination. I know that for a fact. So then I'm like, yet here I am again with the issue of positional authority. But I think I have enough positionality to, to, to do what I need to do. I'm not really worried right now. But that, uh, you know. Anyway, I don't even know if that other position would give me that. I don't know. It's interesting. You don't know the, you don't know your passengers. You don't know your passengers. To be able to argue about the destination, the route. Mm, mm, mm. Can I say this, y'all? This is a this is one thing that has come up for me, and I'm I'm going to try to close here. I'm really going to try. This is what's come up for me: being able to mastermind is a, a something. It's a big deal for me. It's deeply rewarding, and I've been in positions over the last ten years since I closed my. It's about 10 years now since I stepped out of leadership, school leadership, where I haven't been masterminding in a public way. I've been masterminding in a private way. And this is an interesting paradox for me because I've been like masterminding like concepts and frameworks and systems that really haven't rolled out to be public yet. That feels very, and that's, I've been doing it, but there's something about masterminding when you have an audience, when you have an audience, when you have a group of people, Alan, that's, that feels very ENTJ, doesn't it? For me, it does. And I don't know. I was thinking about it. I don't, I don't think I'm an ENTJ. I really, 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 really do not think that, but I can see in many ways how I'm different from other INTJs. And I think it's the INTJ eight part of me. I think it's the eight that gives the nuance to that. I really do, but I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. So I'm going to just end it here. I don't have a nice little bow on this. I feel like there's more I want to say, and there's more that I probably should say, you guys. So if you're feeling incomplete by this audio, I'm with you. (laughs) I don't worry. Don't, don't, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I feel incomplete. Okay. But we have to bring closure. If this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about efficiency and effectiveness, I think that's really what it's about. What does it mean to be efficient? What does it mean to be effective? Particularly when you're relating to humans and non-human variables. As dealing with humans that are influenced by regional context. Like you we're human, but we're different. So not just not just the humans aspect of it, but the diversity piece of it. Well, I guess that's what it means to be human, right? I don't know. Efficiency versus effectiveness. I still am gonna say one is T E, one is T I. Can we do both? Yes. I think if you, and I've always, I've already said this in other episodes, 
when that function is at the top of the stack, you can dip into the shadow. So because TE is, is my second, I can go to TI as six. I can go there easier. I, F, FI, it's hard for me to do FE. And good, I had a breakthrough to, I always question like, oh man, to me, F, FE is more difficult than SI. That's just because I wasn't really understanding SI. I, yes, no, <laughs> yes, no, SI, no. That's one thing this guy said in his audio. He said, NI DOMS can go back and analyze the past. He's the only person I've ever heard say that. But I've said before that we travel forward and people look at NI DOMS as going ahead, going forward. We can go back in time. And he said that, I don't know if that's INTJ going back to analyze, but I can. I'm going to go back and analyze and I'm going to use that analysis in moving forward. Anyway, it's all complicated. So anyway, we're just going to leave this at as, as efficiency and effectiveness. I'm going to leave it there. How do you get to the bullseye? For me? How do you get to your bullseye? What do you do with those outer layers? And if, okay, okay, this is how I'm going to wrap it up. I think I got it. Okay, this is the, let's go back to the bullseye, the dartboard metaphor. We're trying to get to the bullseye. And I'm saying those outer rings are essential to the bullseye. But for you, if you don't think that they are, you want to just go right to the bullseye, that's efficient. That's efficient to get right there. But what I'm saying is that in order to protect that bullseye, once we land there, I don't want to come back to it. So I'm going to, I'm going to contend with these layers, these outer rings. And you being an efficiency person, you're like, this is wasting time. And I'm like, yes, we need to take the time because when we hit the bullseye, we, we don't have to, we don't have to go after the bullseye again. I want to hit the bullseye one time. One time. I don't want to have to come back and do it again. One time. All right. <laughs> Y'all have to tell me what you think about this conversation on efficiency and effectiveness, okay? But if my moving about, if, if me talking about efficiency and effectiveness, is related to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with them. If my moving about, I'm trying to figure it out, right? It's a little bit of craziness. But if my moving about has inspired some randomness in you, please take this link and share it. No, I'm sorry. If my moving about intellectually or conceptually has inspired some randomness in you, please Find a way to share that with me. <laughs> you can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. I'm on Twitter at yournidom1 and YouTube, yournidom. You guys, let me give you your homework assignment. I'm really struggling. Hold on. I want to ask the question, what's most important to you, efficiency or effectiveness? But I suspect most people are going to say both. I suspect most people will say both. So I'm not going to ask that question. I'm going to ask you to take a look at the last two things you were tasked to do. And how were you willing to be in if this is, this is the question. When have you been willing to be inefficient in order to be effective? 
When have you been willing to be inefficient in order to be effective and why? Because that's going to tell you what does it mean to be effective and it's also going to tell you what does it mean to be efficient. So that's the question. When have you been willing to be inefficient in order to be effective? Because it's really about what we're managing. Like, what does it mean to be inefficient? Like I'm saying, it's never okay to waste energy. So for me, it's always essential for me to to protect energy. But time and money... I'm only going to honor those things if I'm being required to do that. If I'm being, if it's a mandate, I don't have a problem with it. But sometimes effectiveness extends beyond time and beyond money and probably beyond energy. But I think that's the superpower of an INTJ. I can get us there, but that's my superpower. I can get us there without wasting a lot of energy. So this makes me wonder then, is efficiency and effectiveness based on your superpower? You guys, we need to continue this conversation. There's a lot here. All right, we have to continue it. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.